a listener production. Are you ready? <gasps> yes. Okay. <clears throat> Take it away, my dulcet-toned Adonis. Hello and welcome to Just The Gist, a weekly-ish podcast in which Rosie Waterland and I, Jacob Stanley, give you just the gist of what you need to know about a topic we think you'll find interesting enough to share at a dinner party. Hello, Miss Rosie Waterland. Hello. I can't stop looking at myself in the webcam thing because um, I just got my hair like cut and dyed and I like love myself right now. <laughs> So during this whole episode while you're talking, I'm just going to be doing that weird thing where my eyes aren't quite on you because they're on my face, my own face. That's pretty standard, isn't it? Doesn't everyone just look at themselves <laughs> in a Zoom meeting? Oh, I you it's meant standard it was me. for you, but it's standard like, for everybody. <laughs> I think so. You can't help it. Your eyes just kind of move over a bit. Um, I'm good. How are you, my love? You look very, very, very cozy well. in a hoodie. Yeah, still in Melbourne. It's um almost the longest amount of time that I've spent consecutively here. I lived here for six years and I only once stayed for an entire month and now I'm here by choice visiting for a month. There you go. Mm. Fancy schmancy. Mm. Where are you off to this week? This weekend I have, oh, well, uh, Friday night actually. Oh, so tonight, because this comes out on Friday, is my show, <laughs> Kid Chameleon. So if you're in Perth and you've got nothing to do, check if there's still tickets available to my show, Kid Chameleon, at the Astor Theatre tonight. So I'll be in Perth doing that. And then I've got Fam Bam in Perth, so I'm going to go visit my Fam Bam. Mm -hmm. Caleb's coming and he's excited to meet what he calls any normal family I may have. (laughs) So. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, burn Rhiannon. No, no. Oh, my God. Not including my sisters. I think he's just, it's a burn on my mother (laughs) more than anything. Yeah, no, not a burn on my sisters at all. Yeah, so he's going to come and meet my um, very normal, very grown-up conservative aunt and uncle, Mm. my dad's brother and his wife. They're going to get on so well. They have so much in common. They will. (laughs) They will get on well. (laughs) They're kind of like surrogate parents to me, my uncle Mm -hmm. Peter and Arnie Robin. They're really lovely. So I am excited for Caleb to meet them. Yeah, and I love Perth. It's a very flat, clean city. Oh, should we say that like something went weird with our Charles Manson episode? Oh, maybe. Yeah. In case people missed it last week. Yeah. Apparently something went weird at Apple and our Charles Manson episode wasn't appearing for a lot of people and they couldn't find it or something. I don't know. But if you didn't listen, go back and check because apparently they fixed it. Go find it. It's it's worth finding if you somehow let it slip through the cracks, which was not your own fault. It was Apple's fault. It was, yes, it was Apple's fault. I don't understand computer things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just go check, refresh, Mm -hmm. turn it on and off. (laughs) Or like when we were young, turn it off, blow in it and then put it back in and turn yeah. it back on. <laughs> do you remember you used to do that with Nintendo games? It always games? worked. It always worked. I don't know how that magic functioned, but it always yeah. did what it needed to do. Popped your game out, blew in it, put it back in, keep playing Super Mario Brothers or Mario Kart, best game ever. Mm-hmm. Wasn't it your dream to get on um that game show Amazing with, like, where you went through the maze, like, and it was um, primary school kids to find the keys to get the prizes. But the bonus round at the end of Amazing was playing a round of uh, Super Mario Kart. And I was so good at Super Mario Kart, there is no way I wouldn't have won the whole of Amazing. Your memory for television astounds me (laughs) time and time again. As if most people our age don't remember Amazing. It was the best show ever. James Sherry, oh, my God. You even remember the name of the host. Yeah. Oh, my God. Jacob, I have PTSD from a traumatic childhood. My memory for this stuff is a brain injury, but almost like a superpower. It's like I'm an X-Man. Yeah, like Rain Man slash X-Man. Yes, but um, for those of you who aren't in Australia or who don't have a PTSD brain like me, Amazing was a game show on after school that had um, primary school kids um, versing each other from different schools and you basically had to go into a maze that was like the coolest maze you've ever seen in your entire life. Kind of like just imagine, let a 10-year-old come up with a dream maze to go through and that was 
the maze and hidden in the maze were keys that you had to find to like win prizes and stuff. And it was every kid's dream to go on Amazing. They should bring that show back. I'm going to Google it. There's got to be clips on there somewhere. Oh, it does no, ring there a bell. Is, there's, there's definitely clips of it and it's like, oh, it was the coolest game show ever. Yeah, I really, why don't, they should bring that back. <laughs> and it wasn't like the game shows they have now are all about like being smart, like it's academic. What nerds want to go on that show? Go on Amazing, play Super Nintendo and win a Game Boy. That was the prize, a Game Boy. <laughs> now it's like it's it's academic or spelling bee and you win like I don't know a like iPad preloaded with educational games. <laughs> no thanks. Mm-hmm. Well then. Let's get into breaking news, a breaking news. I got the scoop. I see extra, extra. You read all about it. A breaking news. I always think when I'm recording in this office, <laughs> there's someone laughing. <laughs> Beck, the receptionist, is laughing at me because she just heard me singing. <laughs> you haven't finished the song yet, though. You've got to give oh, her the final it's, bar. It's coming down the wire. Very good. <laughs> oh, it's like set. this pod is soundproof enough for everything except for the piercing nasal tones of me singing the breaking <laughs> news song. That seems to break through to the rest of the office. <laughs> you can hear it. <laughs> oh. Sorry, guys. Okay. First, I suppose we've got to talk about the Anna Delvey interview on 60 Minutes. Oh, it made yeah. you hate her and it made me love her even more. Why did you have that reaction? Oh, I was just cringing because she just reaped yeah. so much of desperation. I mean, she was clearly following some really bad direction. Like, Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say to you. you got to remember that 60 Minutes would have said to her, walk in front of this building with attitude and do this. And they would have told her to do all that stuff. Yeah, but the fact that she followed that direction, like if she was actually cool, then she would have been like, "Mm, no, No. thanks. I don't think that's a very good idea at all. Yeah, the way that everything was staged was so incredibly lame. And also, where is her stylist now? They showed how fashionable and chic she was when she was showing up to court. And then on this interview, she looked so Mumsy. Her hair looks like she was going to a yes. suburban high school formal. Um, yeah. All of the outfits were really, really unflattering. And she stopped wearing the glasses. The glasses were half of her facial features. They the did a lot of the heavy amazing. lifting. Um, and she's ditched them. So, yeah, she, she's not cool anymore. She All of her cool has evaporated. That's true. It was, I mean, I loved it just because it was, <laughs> she's definitely... I mean, I think you and I have said that she's, like, pulling off this bizarre performance art, like, t- like leaning into the fact that she's a villain, which is very mm. smart, and it's what you and I have both been like, yes, girl, this is hilarious, we love to hate you kind of thing. But I think she lent into it too much in mm-hmm. the interview where it started to feel disingenuous. Yeah. And I think the thing so far is that, everything she's done has just felt so genuinely her, like even to the fact, even to the point where she didn't even care that we all hated her. She was like, well, this is me, whatever. And then mm. as soon as I watched that, I was like, oh, this feels fake and put on, which yep. put, which then it just kind of lost its magic. Yeah, really did. So Yeah. But, you know, she's got all these deals and things. I mean, she's not going away, so mm. we'll see how it goes. But she just definitely... I think um, the fact that she had been sort of holding back from putting herself center stage and holding back from really putting herself in the spotlight, just being quite alluring and elusive was working for her because when Mm -hmm. she did get front and center in front of the camera, it was really obvious that she just doesn't have that X factor. She doesn't have it. Yeah, completely. before she was in front of the camera, it was like maybe she does and then you're watching that interview and you're like, oh, you're just a daggy girl from, you know, the yep. suburbs or whatever. Like She just seemed like a bit of a, da- a dork. Yeah, completely. Without <laughs> the mystique, fine. she just seems Which like a Which is fine. I'm a dork. Wee. Like, I'm a massive dork, but it was just like, oh, that's not, I thought you were like a cool, fancy, like, mm-hmm. you know, alluring scammer, mm-hmm. glamour, glamour scammer. And yes. I was like, oh, no, you're just, 
You're just lame like me. (laughs) (laughs) You ain't no glamour scammer, girl. But what surprised me at the end of the interview, which I didn't even know this, is that she's currently in immigration jail. Oh, didn't you know? No, I had no idea. Yeah, she's waiting to be deported. This is because you check all the messages on the um, Just the Gist Insta, so then I never see them, and I bet 100 people messaged us about that. I had no idea. Yeah, so she's, like, been in immigration jail over there waiting to get booted, So, which I'm sure she will. Although, to be honest, maybe she won't because from an economic standpoint, she's, like, can be a quite successful contributing member to the American economy. And that's the kind of thing they care about, right? Possibly. Yes. She's Unless likely she scams them. Yeah. <laughs> then who knows? Yeah. <laughs> um, she's likely to be in that holding jail for quite some time because I don't know if you saw, but Rudy Kuniawan, the guy who made all the fake wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was released from prison on the 4th of November and he was only actually deported last week on the 12th of April. So he has Shut spent up. all of that time just in, um, you know, they call it ICE, Immigration and yeah. Customs Enforcement or whatever. Yeah, he's just been in a holding cell with them for that entire time. And when they finally said, all right, the time has come, we're sending you back to Jakarta now, he lobbied really hard to be able to buy his own first-class ticket. And just as a final (laughs) F you, um, they said, no, you're not going to be allowed to do that. We're going to put you in the worst possible economy seat so that you're (laughs) totally uncomfortable for your flight of shame back home. Middle, middle, middle of the middle of everything. Mm-hmm. You know what's my little secret? Because obviously I'm not rich enough to fly anything but economy. But when you're doing an overseas trip in economy, book the back row against the wall. So either the back of the middle section against the wall or the back of the plane, because the back seats, they're not like right up against the wall. There's like about two feet of space. So you can recline whenever you want and you're not bothering anybody. Hot tip. The back That'll come in handy in three years when we're allowed to travel internationally again. <laughs> I know. Sorry. Hot tip, everyone, <laughs> for that dream <laughs> life none of us are living anymore. Okay. I thought I'd tell you this because of your amazing episode on the emu war, which everybody mm. else should go and listen to as well. Mm. Um, did you hear about the emu that ate the earring? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, my God. This was one of those funny, quirky news stories that just was everywhere this week. It was on a current affair. It was so <laughs> great. So this woman was at Sydney Zoo and she was taking a selfie next to an emu. And it's mm. so funny because you kind of get like the real life moment. In the selfie, the emu is just looking at her earring like this. And she said the mo- <laughs> the second after she took the selfie, it just like reached forward and plucked her Tiffany earring off her ear and ate it. <laughs> and she was like, that's a really expensive <laughs> Tiffany earring. Like this wasn't La Visa, this was Tiffany. <laughs> and so she went, she went to the zoo staff and she was like, yo, that emu just ate my earring. And so they said to her, okay, um, we're going to have to like give us a week and we'll, you know, send an intern in to check its shit every day, <laughs> which they did. And after a week they couldn't find it. And the zoo said that was because emus often eat things like rocks and stuff. Mm. So they have a very powerful stomach digestion system. So they said it probably would have just broken the earring down and fully digested it. Oh, get out. So that's why it didn't shit it out. So um, Sydney Zoo agreed to, they got in touch with Tiffany and have agreed to replace (laughs) the earrings (laughs) because unfortunately they were not found in the emu's shit. That is excellent. I, I know. The poor emu, though. I hope it didn't hurt it. It's a little esophagus on the way down. Well, the, but that's what the zookeeper said. Um, he said that they eat they eat stuff like that all the time. So they would keep an eye out for it in the poop. But apparently just when they scoff food, they often eat quite large, hard things like rocks. And, yeah, so he was fine, but she just didn't get her earring back from the shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, this is a great one. This is one 
Oh, this is just another why are men. So in Germany, on their version of um, Shark Tank, which is called Dragon's Den, you know that show where entrepreneurs come in and pitch to billionaires or millionaires and they decide whether or not they want to invest in your maybe brilliant, maybe crazy idea. Mm-hmm. So two men came in and pitched to the millionaires on Dragon's Den in Germany that they had a brilliant idea called the pinky glove. Mm. And the pinky glove is basically just a disposable glove that is pink, that has a red heart on it, and it's to solve the problem that women have had for millennia and have never figured out how to solve it themselves until two men came along and said, we're going to give you a pink disposable glove that you can put on to remove your pads and tampons. What? And then, and then the pinky glove, you can turn it inside out like a doggy poop bag and use it as the bag to throw out your tampon. <laughs> okay, now, this is ridiculous it, for so many reasons. First of all, period blood is not, that is like suggesting you need to put on disposable gloves every time you wipe your butt. Like, a tampon has a string, you reach down, you pull it out, you wrap it in some toilet paper and you throw it in like the tampon bin or the regular bin. That's it. it there you go. Done. It's no big deal. But these men are like, they said that um, they're very qualified. They know and understand women, women really well because they lived with women when they were in college and now they're both married. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like, okay, fine. But second of all, (laughs) if women wanted to put on a disposable glove to remove their tampon, they just would. Mm -hmm. We don't need a pink one with a red heart on it that they're selling for $15 for like 30 gloves. So that's like really overpriced (laughs) for disposable gloves. Okay, and here we go. So they pitch this to the Dragon's Den And they didn't get laughed out of the room. One of the male millionaires invested $30,000 in their idea. So here you've got three men saying women need pink, pretty disposable gloves to pull their tampons out. And as soon as, and none of them thought it was a problem. And as soon as the episode aired, every woman online was like, are you, are you feeling (laughs) anything? Are you serious? <laughs> and so now they like got this huge pushback and they were like, oh, maybe we should have asked women about this. <laughs> and so they've released this statement saying, yes, we think maybe we've misjudged this. We're not going to give the money back yet, but we're going to just do some more market research and decide what, you know, what women actually want and need. Okay, bye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just, I can't even... We don't need disposable gloves to pull our tampons out or to pull our pads off our knickers. That is just the weirdest thing. It's just another, it's another vagina tax. It's another thing Mm. that costs a lot of money that we don't actually need. And it's more unnecessary waste as well. It is. It is. So ridiculous. But I just love that they think that they are experts in women because they live with some. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And they also mentioned, you know, like they, there's only so many times you can go to the bin and see a little package of toilet paper and know what's in there. So that was like they, so basically what it came down to is they thought it was gross seeing like used tampons wrapped in toilet paper in the bin. And heaven forbid, sometimes a little bit of blood would seep through the toilet paper so they knew what was in there. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, oh, my goodness. I just can't even. Why are men? Do you remember when um Bic, the pens, came out with uh, pens for women? They were like pink pens for women. Yes. But it was like... It, 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 what is what is it? What about it is that mm. it's for women? Like that it's pink? I don't yeah. understand. What about when Doritos came out with um, low crunch, quieter corn chips for ladies <laughs> who wanted to have <laughs> quiet, dainty little lady crunches? Uh, lady crunches! Oh my god! I just can't that they uh, the <laughs> audacity, the audacity. <laughs> periods are not gross we can just go to the toilet like you go to the toilet when you do your thing and we do our thing we wash our hands afterwards and we're good to go that's it 
Bloody hell. So <laughs> the pinky glove is currently on hold, guys, but if you're desperate to put your orders in, I'm sure they'll take your cash. <laughs> and um, I think that's it. That's it for breaking news. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Do-do-do-do-do-do. Breaking news. Do-do-do-do-do. Oh, good. You've got your metal straw in your can. <laughs> I'm saving the turtles. <laughs> Don't right. you care about the turtles, Jacob? The turtles. All right, let's take it away. So um, this incident in history is affectionately referred to, and I'll thank you for keeping your mind out of the gutter when I tell you, it's called yes. the Bone Wars. And <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit... Um, I'm in the gutter. I'm, I'm low down. I'm right there. <laughs> You're not I'm on your own. We all went there. <laughs> um, but, yeah, the Bone Wars, it's um, a little bit Godfather because there's quite a bit of betrayal in there. Mm. It also reminds me a bit of, do you remember that movie Showgirls? Um, yes, Because there's so much, like, Please. sabotage all yeah. throughout this story, just as there is in Showgirls. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, like I said, that it might be a little bit Brokeback Mountain as well because I think there might be a little bit of an unrequited love situation that ah. sparked this whole thing as well. So okay. I'm calling this one the fossil-fueled feud of Cope and Marsh. Okay. And away we go. Um, so this takes place in the second half of the 1800s in the United States. Um, the two main characters in the story, will go ahead and get their names out of the way first, um, Othniel Charles Marsh. Othniel. Yes. When I first heard Othniel, I thought it was almost like a Handmaid's Tale type. Well, name. yeah. Or I went to Neverending Story. It sounds like someone from the Neverending Story. Mm. And the other guy was called Edward Drinker Cope. Drinker. Mm. That could be either of our middle names. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that they've paired drinker with cope as well. <laughs> so, yeah, they were both rich, as we said, white, American, um, and both quite wealthy and privileged as well. And they chose to use yep. that wealth and privilege to try to become the world's greatest dinosaur discoverer because paleontology really was the new flavor of the month. It was a very new science that was just starting to emerge and develop mm-hmm. popularity. Is that because they've just started finding dinosaur bones or had they been yes. finding them for ages? No, only for a little while. So um, they first started studying fossils in the 1820s. The first yeah. dinosaur was actually named and described scientifically in 1824. So we're coming up on the 200-year anniversary soon of people knowing that dinosaurs existed. God, that's not long ago, is it? Mm-mm. I wonder what happened with the very first one that was found. Were people just like, this is a prank? It was a massive mind F for a lot of people yeah, because they were just be, going right? about their lives and then all of a sudden they find out that there are these skeletons of giant ancient monsters under the ground yes. beneath them. Um, that would have been a massive mind F. Mm, we've like known about them since we were kids, but if you found out yeah. about these giant monsters when you're an adult, it would have been fairly surprising and shocking. I reckon it would be the equivalent of us now finding alien remains like Mm. that's how much of a like mind-blowing event it would be yeah when dinosaur bones were first discovered Mm, crazy Mm. okay so it's a big deal to like no wonder like rich dudes are like i want to spend my life doing what is possibly the most exciting thing to be doing right now finding dinosaurs yeah yeah Absolutely. A lot of people as well, when they found out that these fossils existed, they decided, oh, okay, so these must have been animals that um, Noah didn't take on the ark. And so they died in the flood and that's how they ended up under the ground. So that's how they sort of reconciled. That's where these things came from. Um, But of course, that was dispelled by a lot of scientists pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. They were both very, very passionate and they were very ambitious because this was their opportunity to make themselves super famous if they could be yep. really successful in this field. They first met each other in Berlin in 1864. They were both studying there at the time. So while they were in Germany, they became really good friends, bonded over mm-hmm. their obvious common interests being fossils. And they spent lots of time on dig sites together and studying together and Because they were so close, this is why a lot of people, when they hear this story, sort of speculate, oh, okay, were there some goings-on between these two 
potentially. Uh, mm-hmm, but they were, mm-hmm. you know, proper chums um, to the point that they were actually naming some of their discoveries after each other. This is the way that it worked. If you discovered something, you had the right to name the new species that you yeah. found. And Cope found that this That still happens, doesn't it? It does, yeah. That's, that's why today, like, when they find new bugs and stuff, they call them, like, Beyonce Drew Meineken mm-hmm. because, like, the scientist loves Beyonce. That's right. And yeah. Cope seemed to really like Marsh because he named a cute little button face amphibian that he found after Marsh. Um, mm. And then in return, Marsh um, named a new species that he'd discovered of giant sea monster after Cope. So you can make of that what you will. Their friendship lasted until they went back to the United States. And it's kind of a shame because they would have made a really great team if they'd combined forces and used their resources together. But no, their Mm. egos got in the way of that. And after a few years of friendship, they ended up becoming very, very bitter rivals and enemies, which is excellent for us because it means that we've got this fantastic story to tell, which is just Mm. filled with silliness. Um, but it turned out to be really, really bad for science, as we'll see, because they okay. did a lot to undermine the scientific community. Um, mm-hmm, so the mm-hmm. falling out first and foremost happened because each of them, like I said, wanted to be the number one supreme paleontologist. And so therefore, by definition, they're in competition with each other. And to also, be the number though, one supreme paleontologist, um, is that just like finding the most new dinosaurs? That's right. Find the most things okay. and therefore have the right to name the most things. Right. So this, this is, is all about like thing. just sta- it's like it's about like the first one who pees on everything. It's about exactly. like just label it like marking your territory. Yes. So exactly. this is just a dick swinging contest as usual. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Um, They had a lot in common, but they also had a lot of fundamental differences. So Cope grew up very religious. He Mm -hmm. believed still in creationism, um, believed that that everything on the planet was the result of intelligent design, including dinosaurs. He refused to believe Darwinism. Yes? Question then. If he believed in intelligent design, then how come these dinosaurs that were designed by God intelligently weren't good enough to go on the ark with Noah. <laughs> it was all part of his divine plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he really resisted Darwinism, whereas Marsh embraced it. Darwinism yep. was very new. The Origin of mm. Species, Darwin's famous book, wasn't released until 1859. So this is still only less than a decade old. And that book really upset people, didn't it? Because when mm. it came out, it was basically the first book to say that we, like, have descended from animals and not from God just making us from Adam and Eve or whatever. And it really upset people that it was insinuated that we were descended from, like, people would say monkeys and apes. Yep. Like, how mm-hmm. dare you say that we're descended from monkeys and apes and not designed by the one almighty God, Jesus person. That's right. Yeah. It um, yeah. was offensive to a lot of people who considered yeah. it to be very blasphemous, including Cope, whereas Marsh got on board. He was an early adopter and he really looked down his nose at anyone who resisted believing in Darwinism yeah. and survival of the fittest and evolution. Mm-hmm. Um, so that sort of put him into conflict with a lot of people, including Cope. Um, Mm -hmm. They also had some pretty fundamental personality differences as well. Cope was a Leo and Marsh was a Scorpio. And (laughs) anyone who knows anything about astrology will know that that pairing will either result in fireworks or fart bombs. I love that we just spent the last two minutes being so on our high horses and incredulous about religion. And then we're like, but here's some astrology stuff that's definitely true. (laughs) There's no denying that Leos and Scorpios either get on famously or they just battle each other bitterly. Sure. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) If anyone wants to dispute that, send us a message. It is truth. Anyway, so the friendship ruptured. They were still working in the same field of study, though, so they tried to, at the very least, be professional with each other for a while. Then in 1870, all attempts at professional courtesy just went out the window and fell completely to pieces. 
Firstly, because Cope just could not laugh at himself at all. He took himself Mm -hmm. so, so seriously. Firstly, I think that this is just kind of interesting that you can get credit for finding something and you can have the right to name it, even though you're not the one to actually find it. So in 1867, some random Mm. guy had just found some fossilized bones somewhere in Kansas by accident while he was out on a hike. And he yeah. sent them to Cope to check them out. Cope was the professor of zoology at a university at the time. Yeah. Which in itself, by the way, this is just an example of how money can buy you whatever you want in life. He didn't finish high school, but his parents <laughs> had enough money that they could buy him the role of professor at a university. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> anyway, Cope that's like how Jared. That's like how Jared Kushner's parents made an $8 million donation to get him into Harvard. Did they? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Still happens today. Yeah. Yeah. He had a look at the bones and pretty much said, okay, this looks like a new species. It is mine. And he paid a Mm. team to go out to Kansas and spent two years digging up the whole skeleton and send it back to his office in Philadelphia. And that then, because he'd spent the money to have it dug up, meant that he was given the credit for discovering the new species. Um, The guy who actually found it got zero credit whatsoever. Little Farmer Um, Joe. Yeah. No credit. He got a bit of money, but his name's Mm. not attached to the discovery. Um, When the skeleton had been assembled back in Philadelphia at Cope's lab, he published an article about this incredible new species that he'd discovered because he was so clever. He called it Elasmosaurus, and it was an aquatic dinosaur that kind of, it's a type of plesiosaur. So when you imagine what the Loch Ness Monster looks like. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of them. Cope's mentor, a guy called Joseph Lydy and Marsh, both came Mm. to have a look at the skeleton because it was a big discovery. And when they Mm. looked at it, it just didn't quite look right. And on closer inspection, Lydy pointed out that, oh, oopsie-daisy, Cope, you've put the dinosaur's skull on the end of its tail. (laughs) (laughs) This is what I was going to ask you. If they're digging up the bones and sending them to his lab or whatever, he's basically just putting together a puzzle with no picture guide. Exactly. Yeah. It's a really easy mistake to make. They have no idea what it's meant to look like in the end. It's a three-dimensional jigsaw puzzle that like is missing pieces as well. So (laughs) it's like not hard to imagine that something like this would happen. And so it wasn't really a big deal. And also it's a pretty funny thing to do. Yeah putting its head on its butt. You basically put its head on its butt. (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. (laughs) The jokes write themselves. So um, Lydie and Marsh were having a bit of a giggle about it, but Cope Mm. did not find it funny at all. You and I would have just laughed this off. He could not cope with what he saw as a huge humiliation. His ego was badly bruised and he just got very, Mm. very sulky. And then he got even angrier when Lydie pointed out to him this is also a species that I've already discovered. Sorry. Yeah. No. See, once we put the head in the right place, yeah, this is a guy that I've already, I've already found one. Yeah. Whoopsie daisy, Cope. Yeah. So Cope didn't just laugh it off and he certainly didn't apologize. He just tried to cover the whole thing up. He went out and tried mm. to buy every single copy of the journal that had his article in it and had them destroyed. Charles yeah. Marsh, however, felt like the world deserve to know about how hilarious (laughs) this situation was. So he went out and got as many copies of the journal as he could get so that he could then whip (laughs) them out at cocktail parties and have a little chortle with people about um, Cope's silly little blunder. Um, That's what I'd do. This is very real housewives of 1800s paleontologists. Oh, yeah. And if you think it's petty now, (laughs) it's going to get way more petty from here. Marsh gave himself credit as well. He would tell people, I was the one who told him that he'd put the head where the ass should be. Yeah. Um, even though it was actually lighty. Anyway, the other dude. Yeah. Cope got very, very cranky at Marsh for doing this, but obviously some part of him still craved Marsh's approval. So he tried to redeem himself by inviting Marsh to come and see his newest dig site out in New Jersey. Cope brought Marsh out there and... Mm took him on a little tour trying to regain some status for himself, showing off how impressive his pit was, which, by the way, he was doing no digging in it 
at all. He was just paying people to do the ah, digging right. and make the discoveries for him. And then because so you just he, point and go dig there, dig there, yes. And whatever you find, okay. I'm responsible for you finding it, and yeah. I just will name. Tell it. me when it's tell me when it's time for me to come and put my name on it. That's right. Thank Kiss you so it. much. Yeah. Mm. Um, Marsh was impressed at what he was seeing. Uh, they were mm. finding some very cool new species in this pit. And more than impressed, he was also very jealous. He wanted a piece of this action for himself. So Marsh waited ah. till Cope wasn't looking and he approached the guy who owned the land where the dig site was and made mm. a very lucrative but unethical proposition. He said, I'll give you a bribe of whatever you want if you will send mm. me all of the cool finds that you make instead ah. of sending them to Cope. So for the next few months, Cope was getting really frustrated because his team weren't finding anything cool and new for him to yeah. write about. Whereas Marsh <gasps> okay. suddenly was writing about all these fun, new, exciting discoveries. And that was when he did a bit of investigating and found out about Marsh's dodgy deal. And he was fuming and declared war on Marsh. Yes. So this is when I things would. really start to kick off. He told everyone you put the head where the butt was and now he's gone and stolen your other cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. This I'd meant be war. furious. So they both dedicated their lives from this point onward until the day they died trying to destroy each other. Like I said, yep. they were in a competition, but it was no longer just about finding the most dinosaurs. It was about discrediting and ruining the reputation of the other guy. And this battle took place in two places, Firstly, out in the Western states of the USA and also mm. in the scientific journals where they would publish articles that would just openly slag each other off. <laughs> I love it. Like tabloids. Yes, it's so tabloidy. We'll get to some of the detail there, but first we'll talk about what was happening out in the Western states. And just as a bit uh -huh. of context here, um, the United States started off just as the eastern states and then as part of what they called Manifest Destiny, they started to move further and further west, basically mm -hmm. invading the homes and territories of the Native Americans. Yeah. And so the east going, is like New York, like all those places, and the west is exactly. California. Yeah, That's right. Yeah. yeah. And so more and more states were being claimed as part of the yes. United States. The Dakotas and Wyoming and Colorado as they went further and mm. further. As they went, they were finding lots and lots of fossils because they were doing lots of digging. They were mm. establishing new farmlands and they were building railroads and they were digging new mines. And so yeah, it was course, yeah. a wealth of fossils that they were coming across. And so globally, all paleontologists were paying attention to what was being found out in the West. So, of course, mm. that's where Marsh and Cope went and set up teams of men that they'd employed or in some cases they'd use free university student labor to go mm -hmm. out and just gather up as many specimens as possible. Um, straight away, they started finding things that blew people's minds. They found stegosaurus and triceratops <gasps> oh, and oh my favorite yeah um brontosaurus diplodocus they were finding these enormous creatures and really good quality fossils as well so it was starting to tell them a lot about the past i still about. have a triceratops toy back from when jurassic park first came out and it's hard to explain to people just how big a momentous huge thing jurassic park was the movie when it first came out it was mm -hmm. like the biggest blockbuster of all time. It was crazy. And um, I really wanted this Triceratops toy from Jurassic Park, like a plushie. And so my super drunk dad shoplifted it for me from Macquarie Center. <laughs> and I've still got it to this day, my little Triceratops. <laughs> Is it on Thanks, display dad. in your home next to one of Caleb's model boats? No, not yet, because most of my stuff is still in storage in Sydney um, because Caleb has so many effing model boats that we need to get a whole bunch of shel like shelving systems put in. <laughs> so there's room for all of his nonsense and my nonsense combined. So, no, my little Triceratops is currently in a box in a storage unit, but soon, soon. Mm -hmm. You'll be reading. Anyway, yes. Keep going. Just quickly, because you mentioned Jurassic Park, the guy who wrote that novel, Michael Crichton, he also yeah. wrote a prequel to Jurassic Park about Cope and Marsh and this dispute. Stop it! Yeah. It's a fictionalised ah. account of it, but it uses all the correct names. And it's called Dragon Teeth. If you're keen to give ah, it a read. Interesting. Um, yeah, apparently it's quite good. So, yeah, they were... 
they were finding all the really cool ones. Triceratops, Stegosaurus, Stegio, yeah. Stegio, Stegi, those ones. Yeah. And so each cool of fossils, them started of pretty quickly tallying up new discoveries for which yeah. they were doing very little work. They were just paying other people to do it for them. I'm um, surprised they're not all called like Triceramarsh and Copiosaurus mm. and Stegiacope and you know what I mean? Like they at least um, had that much restraint. That's right, yeah. Mm. Maybe if you look at the proper lengthy scientific names, which I did not do, maybe uh, you'd find that there's yeah, a couple maybe. of copes and marshes sprinkled in there. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, in this race, they both cheated. They both played very, very dirty. It started off with Marsh sending some of the men from his team to go and get jobs to work undercover as spies in Cope's mm. team. And they would then bring back information to March about what Cope's team was finding. And sometimes when Cope's team would find something really cool, Marsh would pay them to sabotage the dig site. In a lot of cases, that started off as just reburying things that had been dug up to create a few more days or weeks of delay before the entire fossil could be exhumed and therefore naming rights could be allocated. J'accuse. Sabatier. Then Cope started bribing people from Marsh's team to give him intel on where Marsh's team were going to be going next so that Cope could send his team there quicker so that they could start digging before Marsh's team would get there. That's like in Twister, you know, when like there's the ramshackle group with their crappy ute, but then there's the Mm. fancy group run by what's his name? And they, the guy from Robin Hood, men in tights. And they always get there first because they hear on the radio where they're going. Mm -hmm. Exactly like that. Yeah. 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 Marsh then started paying men to pretend to be just regular farmer Joes who'd found fossils out in a field so that they would take Cope's team out to show them the places where they'd found fossils. But it was actually just one big wild goose chase because they were just taking them around to see nothing again to waste their time so that they were slowed down in the race. Mm. Cope That's and funny. Marsh. Yeah. <laughs> so where is it? Oh, shivers. Work. I forgot. Uh, maybe over there. Hold on. Where was I digging? That's it's so funny. Somewhere. Oh, no. Wait. It was over that hill. Oh, no, yeah. no, it was over that <laughs> hill. We'll just keep going That's a little funny. further. <laughs> Cope and Marsh both started getting their men to raid each other's dig sites at night <gasps> to steal fossils or, in some cases, to just destroy fossils that they couldn't carry. This was when it really no! started to get dirty. We're talking That's hundreds of millions science. of old fossils. Yes. Dreadful, but they didn't really care. For them, all that really mattered was who was going to get the most glory so for naming the most new species. Either my name is is on this dinosaur and I am credited with finding this dinosaur or there'll be no dinosaur. That's, That's right. like, if I can't play with it, I'm going to smash it. Yes. If it can't like, be so mine, there, it will be nobody's. There, there could literally be dinosaurs that existed that we will never know they existed because... Mm-hmm. They just destroyed them throwing a little mantanty, a manty. That's right. Yep. Mm -hmm. The only value in their mind that these fossils had was to serve their own selfish grasp for glory. To pee on everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, For the men who were actually involved in the front lines here, it really started to feel like a street gang war. It reached a point at one stage where their camps and dig sites were so close to each other that they could actually have rock fights and, like, dirt-clod fights with each other, which is what happened. (laughs) These were men of science engaged in throwing rocks and pebbles at each other. Mm, Yeah. mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. the animosity just kept growing. Marsh and Cope kept poaching men from each other to bring back intel from either camp. They kept sending spies into each camp as well to infiltrate the opposition. And it got to the point where people just had no idea who they could and could not trust. And the men even started to forget who they were working for. There was one instance where a guy who was being paid by Marsh got confused and sent a box of Marsh's fossils to cope. (laughs) He forgot who his boss was. Um, Men are dumb. When he received that box, ended up doing the right thing and forwarding the package of fossils onto its rightful owner, Marsh. Really? But not until he'd rifled through the contents of the box and taken out the best specimens the coolest to stuff. keep yep. for himself. Okay. Yes. 
Yeah, so yeah, Marsh yeah. got the box and wrote to Cope asking for the missing fossils, please. He'd like to have those <laughs> back. And Cope wrote back saying, buddy, you're lucky to have what you've got. I could have kept the yeah. lot of them. You just enjoy <laughs> your scraps Finders, now. keepers, losers suck. That's right. And so then in retaliation for that, Marsh stole an entire train car full of Cope's fossils. <laughs> he just had an entire <laughs> train car rerouted from Philadelphia <laughs> to his own offices in New Haven. And this just kept escalating year after year after year for more than 15 years. And yeah. in that time, they hardly ever crossed paths with each other face-to-face. Most of their yeah. communication took place in the scientific journals where they were publishing their articles. And this is like an old-timey version of a Twitter dispute. Yes, it mm. is. <laughs> but where you get months to respond. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so you can really yeah. think about making the burn sting. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So whenever they would find something new, they had to claim the credit by writing a journal article about it yeah. and just sit back and bask in the glory. And mostly when people treat this sort of thing professionally, they would just write scientific descriptions of the fossils and the species that they'd found. But these guys were doing much more than that. They were savaging each other's work. They were calling out each other's errors constantly and just openly accusing the other of being incompetent and deeply stupid. And they would have <laughs> arguments that would go back and forth about who discovered what dinosaur first. Yeah. There was an issue with Stegosaurus. They each discovered a Stegosaurus and they gave it different names. And then this argument went on and on for years over who had actually found the Stegosaurus first. I want one of them to flip a table, throw a glass of wine. <laughs> We're getting to that point. Yes. Um, so the other sorts of things that they were calling each other out on were finding two of the same species but giving them totally different names or the reverse. Uh -huh. They would um, find two different species but they'd just assume that they were the same thing. Uh, mm -hmm. Both of them were, they were making a lot of errors, not because they were unintelligent but just because they were in such a rush that they weren't stopping and paying attention to detail. Yeah. As this all got messier and messier, Lydie, the guy who was Cope's mentor, became so embarrassed oh, yeah. that he just quit paleontology altogether. He felt oh, that no. he was responsible for this disgrace, or at least half of it, because he'd spent so many years working with Cope and getting him established. And Cope, out of the two of them, he was especially prolific when it came to publishing journal articles. And yeah. they were rife with inaccuracies as well, because he was pumping them out to this day he still holds the record for publishing the most scientific journal articles of any US scientist uh, ever. So More he's, there's not a lot of, of science going into it. It's just like, no. here's this thing I quickly discovered. Next. And here's the mm -hmm. other one. It's got a head the size of a lemon. Next. Like yep. he's just, yeah, okay. So he was submitting so many of them to be published that the American naturalist said, we're not going to be able to publish any more of your articles because you're submitting five to ten a month. That's too many. Mm. And they're full of errors. And also they're very unprofessional because you're just calling out your enemy in half the text <laughs> that you're submitting. You're here. just... You're using them to have mantis. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And so when they refused to publish his articles, he just bought the magazine which meant that he could then <laughs> publish whatever he wanted. <laughs> oh, that sounds like something Elon Musk would do. Yeah, very much. It really does, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it started to get more and more ridiculous, the things that they were accusing each other of. Uh, Marsh mm. wrote an article about how Cope had sent out dino rustlers into his sites over the winter while the site was abandoned so that they could steal some of his fossils while he wasn't mm. there. Cope submitted an article that claimed that Marsh's men had blown up one of his sites with dynamite. My favourite one, though, was to humiliate Cope, Marsh's team one time went out and buried a bunch of fossils that came from different species in a formation that looked like a whole skeleton because they were hoping that Cope's team would then come along, dig it up, and they would think that they had found a brand new species. And sure enough, Cope and his team took the bait <gasps> They announced that they'd made this incredible new discovery and then as soon as they did, Marsh made a very big deal of pouncing out going, ha-ha, we got you, you gullible, gullible fool. 
I kind of really like Marsh. <laughs> Marsh <laughs> He's the more playful funny. of the two. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Now, uh, at this point, all of the journals just put their hands up in the air and said, we are not going to publish either of you anymore. Yeah. You're acting like children. Even the American naturalist, which Cope still owned, just flatly refused to publish anything from Marsh and from Cope. <laughs> yeah. No one wanted to be involved in this shit show because it was just too undignified. So it was kind of like they were both... They truly are just having an online fight. Yes. Through a publication. Like, that's so funny. Yeah. And so this is like 200 years ago, the same as being blocked (laughs) on Twitter. They lost their platform. They were de-platformed. But that didn't do anything to calm them down, of course. It just made them more inflamed. And quick. It's worth pointing out here, they were hemorrhaging money. Mm. All of this nonsense was very, very expensive. So they didn't have a lot of money left to blow on this. So they were sort of incentivized at this point, all right, enough is enough. We have to have a winner of the bone wars. Mm. So to end their little duel, they each had to deliver a death blow. And this is when it got real. This is when the table was flipped. Marsh was working for the U.S. government at this time. He was the head paleontologist for the U.S. Geological Service. and He He was not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Legitimate position, as well as being a professor at Yale. He used all of his political (laughs) connections. I know. Yes. Let's just let that sink in for a little bit here. After all this childish (laughs) behavior, he was a public official and a professor. The government was like, we want that man. (laughs) (laughs) Not a lot has changed. I don't think they had any clue of what was really going on because it was not that many people in the scientific community that were reading all of these journal articles. So Mm, I guess it was sort of somewhat contained. All the handy political connections that he had, he put to Mm. use um, trying to sabotage COPE once and for all. He cut Mm. off all funding to COPE and anyone connected to him and introduced some new laws, which he was hoping were going to mean that Cope would have to hand over all of his fossils to the US government. Right. Basically, he said, if you've found anything on government land or if you used any government funds to get any fossils, then they belong to the government and to me. Yeah. He didn't realise just how much money Cope had spent of his own sourcing all of these fossils. And Cope was able to show all of the receipts and he therefore was allowed to keep all of the fossils that he'd acquired for himself. So yeah. Marsh's plan did not work. Cope survived his death blow. But mm. Cope was really, really angry because this was an especially mean thing for Marsh to have done to Cope. Cope, all he really had in the world now was his fossils. And so for Marsh to try to take away that one and only asset that he had, this was pretty Mm. serious. So Cope fired back by approaching a journalist at the New York Herald. And Mm -hmm. like I said, not a lot of people across the country and across the world were aware of what was going on with these two. But when Cope went to the New York Herald, this was taking the story to the mainstream media. He'd kept a painfully detailed diary of everything that had happened over the previous mm. 15 years, obviously from his perspective, making Marsh yeah. look like a monster. And all of the details that Cope shared with this journalist became part of a series of articles called Scientists Wage Bitter Warfare. And it was super tabloidy. And Marsh was yeah. absolutely dragged in the articles and outlined everything that I've already told you about and more. He talked about how Marsh had instructed his teams on every dig that they did, they were to take away as many fossils as they could possibly carry on their donkeys or in their train carts. And anything mm. else that they couldn't carry, they had to just destroy so that That's no one so else bad. would ever find them. Yeah, just so were people rightfully horrified to hear oh, that yeah. and read that? This okay. was yeah. sacrilegious, the scientists. Yeah. And for normal yeah. people like you and me as well, who think that that's yeah. an incredibly selfish and stupid and childish thing to do. Yeah. Um, it also called Marsh out for one time when he promised a Native American chief that he would pay for any fossils that he found on the land of the Sioux people and then just in the middle of the night disappeared without mm. ever paying them. 
It called mm. him out for using government-funded digs to source fossils for his own private collection as well as for his department at Yale. Uh, yeah. And it accused him of plagiarism, of not paying his workers, and once again of making lots and lots of errors. So, But made me- I also assume that this article doesn't really go into any of the equally bad things Cope did because it came from Cope's perspective. That's right. Yes. However, okay. it did yeah. still make him look very unprofessional because Petty it was frankly and, the whole way yeah. through that he was biting back. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He was very yeah. much engaged in the silliness. He wasn't above it all. Yeah. Uh, the scientific community, understandably, were horrified. This was an unthinkable embarrassment for them. They were very ashamed to be associated with paleontology at all. But the mm. general public loved it. They had no idea <laughs> that scientists could be this hilarious and get involved in scandals and hijinks. They just thought they were a bunch of wusses. You know what it's like? It's like when you're not on Twitter, but I tell you what, I waste so much of my life on Twitter, like seeing some weird argument trending and I go and look at it and it's like somebody from the economics department at this university is really angry at somebody in the economics department at another university and they're publicly tweeting about each other. It is not something that I would ever normally care about, Mm. but then I look up and it's been three hours and I have gone deep (laughs) into the tweets and lives of these economic professors at universities that I've never heard of, but I get so invested just because it's fun to get invested in in people's drama. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. what it would have been like, just the randomest drama that you normally would never care about, but then you just find yourself so invested in it. Oh, yeah, people were deeply engrossed. So this sold a lot yes. of newspapers over the course of a few months. Of course, because Marsh then broke his silence and came forward to speak his truth and published yeah. a rebuttal calling out Cope for much of the same stuff that he'd been accused of doing as well. So it just sort of kept going back and forth like ping pong until it reached yeah. a point where, like you do after a few hours, I'm sure, people got a little bit tired of reading about yeah. these old white <laughs> men fighting over bones. And so it's sort You're of like, lost wait, I, I actually had work to do today. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's where that. I end up. What have I done? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Big repercussion of this was, though, the government found out about some of the dodgy things that Marsh had been doing because, sure enough, he was using government Mm. funds to get fossils for his own collection and for the Yale Museum as well. So he was going to have to give back everything that he didn't pay for, which was most of what he owned in his collection. So Cope Uh kind of won, sort of, kind of. Um, Mm. But it still wasn't over. All of their dirty laundry had been aired very, very publicly. Paleontologists around the world, like I said, very embarrassed. Cope and Marsh totally disgraced and essentially pushed out of the field of study for a while. Good. Neither of them, though, showed any sign of remorse at all. And they definitely weren't going to back down, admit defeat, or publicly apologize. The battle just kept raging on right up until they died, which was not long after. And it kind of went on until after they were both dead as well. They both died within two years of each other. And they were both <gasps> in absolute financial ruin because of everything that we've discussed. Cope was the first one to go. We don't know Mm. exactly how he died, but we assume it was probably syphilis. And we know that when he was dying, he stipulated in his will he wanted an autopsy because he wanted his skull and his brain to be measured and weighed so that one day when Marsh inevitably died, they could measure and weigh his brain and see once and for all. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> who was the smartest scientist based on who no. had the heaviest, biggest brain? Mm-hmm. I've said it before. I will say it again. Why are men? <laughs> Why? Oh, my God, he did not. Yeah, so Cope was very confident that he was going to win this final pissing contest and somehow be vindicated from up in heaven. But... Marsh had the last laugh in the end by simply mm. saying, um, no, thank you. I'm not going to compare any of my body parts to Cope's. I'll just go to my grave in one piece. Thank you very much. I'm surprised they weren't like cut off our dicks and put them on a scale. Like, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like how mm-hmm. bizarre. Yeah, totally. 
So then they were gone, both of them, and they left behind hundreds of thousands of fossils in their private collection, literally tons Mm. and tons of these old bones in crates that had never actually been opened. They'd been dug up and packed up Mm. and shipped off, but they hadn't ever been classified and properly examined. It took decades, almost a century, to unpack it all and catalogue it all. What dicks? uh, Yeah. Like they were just collecting, collecting, collecting to own. Just owning, owning, owning. Yeah. And basically Uh, keeping them away from their competition was more important than actually figuring out what the bones belong to. That just goes against the, like, philosophy of science. mm -hmm. Like you're not a real scientist. You're just a dick with a shovel. Mm -hmm. They also made an enormous mess that took over a century to tidy up because of all the articles that they were publishing and Mm. the inconsistencies that were in there. Because like I said, they were naming members of the same species, different things. And sometimes they were naming different specimens as the same thing. And they were both using totally different classification systems as well and refused to align on naming conventions. How much do you want to bet that whoever had to come in organize everything, clean everything up, put everything into a sensical system that works for future generations, how much do you want to bet it was women? Probably. It yeah. was women, my friend. <laughs> yes, it Once was. Once they were allowed to enter the scientific community, oh, yes. which was not for Once another Once they were allowed in the years. building, yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, they probably didn't care about the mess. They were just thinking about who was going to win the war. So let's oh, talk about the final care. tally. Okay. <laughs> um, if we're only counting new dinosaur finds, which, yeah. once again, they hardly actually found any of them. They were paying other people to find them on their behalf. Cope, the rich cousin-marrying Quaker, he found 56 new species of dinosaur, which is pretty Only impressive. 56? Oh, oh, I thought that on. wasn't. But I thought with everything they were digging up, you were going to say, like, 800. Mm. This is just dinosaurs. He did find hundreds and hundreds of mammals and amphibians and crustaceans. But right, okay. dinosaurs, 56. 56, okay. Compared and? to marsh, do you want to have a guess? 64. <gasps> a little bit higher, 80 species of dinosaurs. Ah, so he wins. He won, yes, by, you know, that definition of success. He won. Yeah. God knows who destroyed the most species, which we'll never uh, come to know about. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, in the end, Marsh was sort of declared the winner. And when people talk about these two, they call them like the grandfathers of paleontology and two of the oh, greatest paleontologists. The most generous people that the most generous thing that people say is that both Cope and Marsh sort of spurred each other on to find more and more and that their rivalry gave them the motivation to find as many things as they found. But it also gave them the motivation to destroy things without a care for what it could have possibly contributed to science. I mean, who Mm -hmm. knows what they destroyed? What if one of them had found the missing link? Like, you Mm. know how they say there is a missing link between us being you know, descent, uh, ascending from monkeys to people. Mm. Like, I know that's a very um, base way of putting it, but there is always in history this missing link. They could have found that and destroyed it. Mm-hmm. And we'll never know. They just we'll unnecessarily know. destroyed things for the sake of their own personal gain and out of spite. The whole thing was a shit show. And like I said, they should have worked together. If they'd combined their yes. resources, they could have been way more successful. But... Their little egos wouldn't let them do that. And I love how you give us the final tally that he had, what, 50, Cope had 56 and Marsh had 80. But I reckon really if you said to them both, hey, do you want us to, like, go off that tally or do you want us to measure your dicks and go off that? They'd be like, (laughs) our dicks. Because that's what this was all about. This was Mm -hmm. all, this was a dick measuring contest. It was all about pissing on whatever they could. It Mm -hmm. was just... Complete male egos. Mm-hmm. And so that is the story of the Bone Wars. Yeah, I can tell why it's called the Bone Wars. <laughs> to them, that's what it was. 
stupid mm-hmm. ego men. Big oh, time. that was good. That was funny. Mm. So, I mean, the coolest thing to say at a dinner party is to me, really, that there are possibly dinosaurs that we'll never know existed because men destroyed them in a dick swinging contest. Mm-hmm. Yep. Disgraceful. Wow. They should be ashamed. Disgraceful. Awful. Mm. They should be ashamed. I see no reason to be generous with them when you're talking about this Absolutely story. not. Yeah. It's I atrocious. don't consider either of them real scientists. Mm-hmm. I'm cranky. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> no, I'm just, it just makes me cranky. What yeah, fools. Yeah, it is infuriating. Like, it's a funny story when you laugh at how silly yeah. they were being, but it yeah. really is so egregious. With Like... Fossils are formed totally by chance. The fact that we're able Mm. to access any of them is pretty miraculous. And they tell us some very important things about the history of the planet. Mm. It's fascinating. It takes hundreds of millions of years for them to form. And then they just smash them with hammers so that someone else couldn't play with them. Yeah. Like, Mm. yeah. They're like toddlers. Mm Mm-hmm. So if you'd like to see more, um, (laughs) (laughs) we will post some things in the show notes. I've been exhausted. Men's idiocy has exhausted me today already. (laughs) And it's only just past midday there. Yeah, I know. I'm exhausted by men. Okay. Yeah, so we give just the gist, but if you want more, what did you look at? I'll pop some things in the show notes. There's some good podcast episodes. Drunk History did an episode of this as well. That would be a great one. Yes, with Tony Hale, Buster from <gasps> Arrested Development. Ah! Yep, yeah. It's pretty excellent. Okay, cool. It's nice and cool, concise. Cool, cool. But, um, yeah, when you see the, um, the rock-throwing war as <laughs> imagined by them, you'll have a good old chuckle. Um, and, yeah, like I said, if you're keen for a fictionalised account of this... Dragon Teeth by Michael Crichton is apparently quite mm. good. Cool. Alrighty. Well, thanks for that. That was good. Pleasure. I love it when I get to hate on men. <laughs> yeah. Your favourite sport. <laughs> Alright. Uh, see you next week. Love you. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Listener.